0: It is pretty hard to believe that it's almost Christmas. I don't know how you feel, uh, but here it is, December 23rd. In just uh, two days, it's going to be Christmas. And uh, this is maybe the fastest Christmas has ever crept up on me. It's also hard to believe that we've come to the end of a semester and we've just had another batch of seniors graduate at the UW. And that's exciting, and uh, it also makes me very sad because we get to know students and then they come through, and then they graduate, and then God sends them off. And uh, it's great to be a part of a, a church that we can equip students for a time, and yet it's sad for us uh, when they leave. Congratulations to students who are here. I know Carol's sitting there, and Carol brought family. So I'm always amazed when a student will graduate on Saturday and show up at church on Sunday with their parents. And uh, I feel honored when that When that happens, we have a few uh, grads right now uh, working in bridge kids that graduated yesterday. Today, we're back in Isaiah chapter nine. I'd like to start with a quote from a well-known theologian, J.I. Packer, who wrote the book, Knowing God. It's uh, quite a bit older. I think 1970s is when it originally came out, been revised in 1993. Here's what J.I. Packer says, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity that's what's exciting about christmas because there is hope it's amazing how many people need hope at this time of year and the days that follow christmas and the days that follow all the holidays uh new year's is coming and and a dark winter january and february christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity hope of pardon because we need forgiveness Hope of peace with God. Hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. That's a Christmas message, says J.I. Packer. In theology, we call it the incarnation. The incarnation of Christ. That means it's about God in the flesh. One of the amazing things is I grew up in a church. Now, I didn't come to faith until I was 25, but I grew up in a church and I learned a lot of things about Jesus and I knew he was the son of God. But you know what I didn't know? I didn't know that he was God. I have met a lot of people raised in churches who get all the way through and don't know that Jesus is God. And uh, that's what the incarnation is all about. God became a man. And the incarnation is about his entire life, all 33 years, including his death and his resurrection. That's the incarnation. And Christmas, when we celebrate his birth, is just that entry point. It's that God becoming a baby. Um, we have been talking about Isaiah, the last, Isaiah chapter 9, the last uh, three weeks. That's on page 481 if you picked up a Bible when you uh, c- came in. Um, Isaiah is an amazing prophet. I would encourage you to go through and read the book of Isaiah sometime with this in mind. Isaiah tells us more about Jesus than any other prophet in the Bible. Sometime go through, Isaiah is a hard book, 66 chapters, but go through and read it looking for things that you know about Jesus, that you've heard about Jesus and underline them. There is an amazing amount of things in Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read Isaiah 9 just to remind you of the passage we've been looking at the last three weeks. It's a three-part series, Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Here's what Isaiah says. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for, for those who are in distress in the past he humbled the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali but in the future he will honor galilee of the gentiles by the way of the sea along the jordan so what isaiah is telling 800 years before the birth of christ that there is a time coming where god is going to bless the socks off the northern part of israel the land of zebulun the land of naphtali it just happens that nazareth where jesus grew up is there it also happens that capernaum the city where Jesus had his ministry headquarters is there. This whole area called Galilee of the Gentiles. Why of the Gentiles? Because the Syrian army invaded. It was dark and gloomy. Time of distress for God's people. And, and God says, time's coming. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have been seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned and we know it is the light of the world. His name is Jesus. We, we've talked about that already. Verse 3 through 5, not very well known. You, speaking of God, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. There's a great victory coming in the future when this promised one, the light of the world, sometimes called Messiah, called, which means the Christ. Christ. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. There is a time of great freedom coming. Verse five, every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for fire. A time of great justice is coming. And now here's the two verses we're focusing on this morning. Verses six and seven. For to us, a child is born To us, a son is given. We talked about that a little bit last week. A child would be born to the people of Israel. This focuses on the humanity of Jesus Christ. A child, a human being, a baby born at Bethlehem. To us, a son is given. This would be God's son. A son is given for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This speaks of his deity, humanity and deity here in one verse. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Okay, let's break this down. We're going to start with Isaiah 9, verse 6. And if you're following on the outline, the baby Jesus has been destined to be um, ultimate ruler. The baby Jesus has been destined to be... You should have another... There you go. Click on that. Thank you. Um With Isaiah 9, 6, we we see his humanity and we see his deity. And for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. You know what? That's never happened. Jesus came. He was here for 33 years. This never happened. Why? Because this is yet future. I I think I've mentioned it to you before, but sometimes the, the Old Testament prophets, they knew about what God was going to do. God gave them information about the future. Isaiah is writing 800 years before the birth of Christ. And he sees that a son is going to be born. we send, I, you know, I read a Christmas card to you. Um, was the last week or two weeks ago. And um, it's so cute to have these Christmas cards for us. Uh, a child is born for us a son is given. That's great. But you know what? The child is born. It's only a small part of Isaiah 9. And when the prophet saw it, it's like two different comings. He saw this one, but, and he saw this one, parts of it, but he didn't realize the time lag between the two. And that's exactly what happens in Isaiah 9, 6 and 9, 7. The government will be on his shoulders. That hasn't happened yet, but it will. One day, Jesus will take on the mantle of leadership. He will be over government. In fact, he's going to be over the nation Israel. First, to, to complete all and fulfill all the promises God made to Israel, but he is going to be the ultimate world ruler. So uh, the first thing I want to say is that w- he will one day be leader of all government. And uh, let's, let's go back to what the uh, well-known passage at Christmas, it's what the angel Gabriel said to Mary, Luke chapter 1. This is what Gabriel said. Mary, you will be with child. Does that connect you right back with Isaiah 9, 6? And give birth to a son. That's Isaiah 9, 6, a child and a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, which is going to mean Savior. And he will be great, as an understatement. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of the Most High God. Now, this would really play uh, havoc with first first century Jewish people. To say that Jesus was the son of the most high God for them was blasphemy because they knew there was only one true God. So if Jesus is going to be the son of the most high, it almost sounds like Jesus is the second God. So that can't be, and so we erase Jesus. What they didn't know, they didn't understand the personalities of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's revealed in the New Testament. They didn't understand all of that. To say that he was the Son of the Most High, man, that's, they just shut that down. Delete that message right away. Do not listen to that message. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. This was in their Bible, in the Old Testament part. Um, no, excuse me, 32 is not the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So this political rulership of a kingdom is going to be handed to Jesus someday by God the Father, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus is going to have a kingdom over the house of David, and he's going to fulfill the promise. We looked at this already, 2 Samuel 7, 13 and 14. God told David, one day you're going to have a descendant way down there. And he's going to be great he's going to have a kingdom and he's going to rule forever okay um, in revelation chapter 19 verse 16 the bible calls jesus the king of kings and the lord's lord of lords he's going to be over government back to isaiah isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 4 This is uh, 8th century before the birth of Christ. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. What is that all about? How would you like to be called the stump of Jesse? Jesse was David the king, David the great king's father. So this is a descendant. David is a descendant of Jesse, which makes Jesus a descendant of Jesse. From uh, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from whose roots a branch will bear fruit. This branch is a person. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Notice how unique this. This isn't an ordinary guy that's having a good day with God. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Next slide. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees, with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears. Next slide. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the, the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Jesus is going to show up. Second coming of Christ, Revelation chapter 19, and he's going to establish a new government. And he's going to rule, okay? I want you to see that. I want you to understand that. Um, he's going to be the ultimate ruler. Next, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. This is what we like on our Christmas cards. Jesus will be called Wonderful Counselor. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 said he will have this, we just read this, he will have the spirit of counsel. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. Jumping to Micah 4, 2, 7th century before Christ, many nations will come and say, this this is when Jesus comes back a second time, it's future. That didn't happen in the first coming of Jesus. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. This is all a reference to the temple and Jerusalem. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Next slide. He will judge between many peoples and and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. This is going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be counseling people. He's going to be counseling citizens of the kingdom. He's going to be counseling perfectly with all wisdom. Notice what happens here. They will beat their swords into plowshares. Uh, They're going to take the instruments of war and they're going to turn them into implements of peace. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up Swords against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Now we're creeping into the Prince of Peace, but hold on, we're not there yet, okay? I just wanted you to see um, how well the scriptures fit together. So, just stop and think a minute. Jesus Christ is wonderful counselor. He is your wonderful counselor today not just a wonderful counselor then or later but right now he is your counselor do you need counsel do you need wisdom do you need advice do you need direction for your future do you want help with choosing a mate a career what decision to make Jesus is a wonderful counselor, and he wants to be your counselor. And he wants you to bring your concerns, your problems, your decisions to him to ask for help. Um, I was just, when I, when I wrote this out this morning, I was just thinking, or uh, yesterday, I was just thinking about... Um, Sue and I hit a time in 2007 where we stepped away from our ministry and um, we didn't know what our next step was. And we prayed and asked God for wisdom and we asked God for direction. And we did this day by day by day and we waited. And it got to be kind of a long time, about 10 months. And then God directed us, yes, it's time to plant a church in Eau Claire. That's why we came. It's because God is a wonderful counselor and he counsels and he gives direction. And he asks us to trust him. So if you need uh, advice, you need counsel, you can entrust your decisions and your life into Jesus' hands. Now, One of the things about Jesus' advice when he gives counsel, he never goes against... what's already revealed in scripture. So he is always consistent with God's will as revealed in the scripture. Um, So he will be wonderful counselor. Also, he will be called mighty God. This is about as clear as you can get. Jesus, God's son will be called mighty God. And we read this and it's so easy to take it for granted. Um, this was a profound statement by uh, Isaiah uh, written about Israel's Messiah. And so they had a lot of clues about Messiah. A Messiah means anointed one. It, that's the same term for the Christ. You know, Christ is not Jesus's last name. It's his title. He's the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20 is one of the best descriptions of Jesus in the New Testament. Now, this is written in the first century. Isaiah, in the eighth century before Christ, said he would be called Mighty God. Here's a good description of Jesus being Mighty God. Verse 14 gives us the clue that this is referring to Jesus. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. The word there for image means the exact representation. It doesn't mean he's like a reflection. He's like it, okay? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Sometimes people don't get this. Jesus Christ is the creator of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's right here, it's him. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He's talking about the visible realm of creation and then the spiritual realm of in- creation that's invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. He's talking about angels, good angels and evil angels. All things, this is what I want you to zero in on. All things were created by him and for him. All things were created for him. You were created for him. You will never find your purpose apart from him. You were made for him. And our lives are to come under his lordship. And we have a purpose. And he's going to engage us in that purpose. And I want to be in a place of blessing, where I'm where God wants me to be and God can bring all of his promises to bear on my life because I'm in that place. You were made for him. So just walk away this morning. If that's the only thing you get, walk away this morning and you just think about that. If I have been made for him, what should I be doing? Okay, next slide not even done with this and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead resurrection he was a prototype of all resurrection so that in everything he might have supremacy god the father wants jesus to have the supremacy to be supreme the supreme commander verse 19 for god was pleased the father was pleased to have all the fullness Dwell in him, all the fullness of God to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He is mighty God. Also, Isaiah calls him Everlasting Father. He will be called Everlasting Father. I'm going to jump quickly to John 10:30 because I hope this comes to your mind. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Isaiah said, This one will be called Everlasting Father. Now, there is an equality with God. Jesus said, I am the Father, Are one. Jesus is God. The Father is God. They are distinct persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet there is a name or a title that goes to Jesus called Everlasting Father. It does not mean he is God the Father. But it's a term or title that speaks of his relationship to time. He is everlasting. He is eternal God. We are reminded that he existed way before he showed up in Bethlehem. He was was there at creation. He was before creation. He is like a father of time. I don't want to use that word. uh, He is way over time. You know, He, he, he is over all. When it comes to time, he's the daddy. But yet... He's not God the Father. He's God the Son. So I don't know if that helped you or confused you, but it's a name. He's going to be called Everlasting Father. He will be called Prince of Peace, Isaiah tells us. Uh, We saw already in Isaiah chapter, uh, uh, excuse me, in Micah chapter 4 verse 3, that there will be a time coming in the future when people will turn their, uh, they'll recycle their Implements of war for things of peace. Isaiah picks this up in Isaiah 11, verses 5 through 9. See, I I told you, you need to go through, read the book of Isaiah and underline everything about Jesus. Verse 5, we've already read 1 through 4. Righteousness will be on his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Real similar to Revelation chapter 19 when he comes. Notice this. This is the animal kingdom right here. The wolf will live with the lamb. That's not normal. The leopard will lie down with the goat. Not normal. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. Sometimes that little child will lead them gets misquoted in a lot of different places. But the idea is this is a great time of peace. A supernatural time of peace when Jesus is ruling And there's going to be a supernatural peace. The cow will feed with the bear. Not natural. The young will lie down together. Nope. Uh, And the lion will eat straw like the ox. Now, I don't know how they're going to do that. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. Don't recommend that at home. There's a time coming when there's going to be safety. They neither uh, they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the waters cover the sea. I don't think we've ever experienced that yet, have we? And yet he is the prince of peace because he will bring a peace that the world has never experienced before. It's the kind of peace that everybody wishes we had when we look at our world. Another passage from Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. In the last days, that's pretty clear, end times. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. Where's that? Jerusalem. And please know, we've talked about this at the bridge before, Jerusalem is really going to be the center of heaven. There's going to be a geographical location on earth, and it, it will be Jerusalem. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth one day. Here's what Isaiah says. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, to the temple. He will. There's no temple there today. Someday there will be. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for any war for any more. Why? Because the Prince of Peace has given, he's ruling now, with peace. Last passage right here is Micah 5, 7th century before Christ. This is speaking of Messiah and the end time. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the... This is just not a normal person here. This is just not a great human being. Let's go back. He, they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. That's going to be everywhere, okay? And then the last slide. And he will be their peace because he is the prince of peace. Um. Finally here, he will prevail as king of kings. That's the first part of verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He's going to be, he's going to rule with peace. He's going to reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. We've already made reference to this, establishing and upholding it. This is right out of Isaiah with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. He's going to be the ultimate ruler. Um, he is going to fulfill all of this prophecy. And so um, I just want to ask you this question. Jesus, very clearly, one day will be ultimate ruler. The government, in fact, it'll be a world government will rest on his shoulders. Will you let him govern your lives? Will you let him rule in your life? right now that's how the kingdom of god advances by the way is when people let the kingdom take up residence in them and live it out and let their light shine before men so they can see their good works and bring glory to the father he is the wonderful counselor he's the mighty god he's the prince of peace he's the son of the most high he's the light of the world he's king of king and lord of lords And one day, the Bible says that every knee will bow before him. I always wonder, is this going to be a joyful time for Christians? Are some of them going to just sort of like God's just going to sort of force them down to their knees? So last point. In Isaiah 9, verse 7, The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish Jesus' ultimate rule. And Isaiah 9-7 says, The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Think about this. The zeal of the Lord. The intense, passionate desire of God will accomplish these things. This is a big deal to God. He, He is intensely, intensely passionate about this to accomplish all of these things. He is zealous about this. Think about this. He is intensely passionate about you being involved in advancing his kingdom, about you joining him in all that he wants to accomplish. Isaiah chapter 46. uh, First of all, God has already proclaimed the end from the beginning. This is from Isaiah. God has already proclaimed. Next slide. Next slide. And next slide. Here we go. God has already proclaimed the end from the beginning. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. And this is one of the coolest passages. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. I make make known the end from the beginning. We have the book of Revelation. We know how it all turns out. We know who wins in the end. We know whose side we're on right now. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come, future. I say my purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. Do you believe that? In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul speaks of the gospel of Jesus in this way. Let, let it ring back to that passage. Go ahead to Romans. Romans 1, 2 through 4. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, like Isaiah, regarding his son, who as to human nature. Ah, I think he's talking about the incarnation. To as his human nature was the descendant of David. Oh, yeah, we know about that who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. I think that's his deity proven by his resurrection, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Secondly, God has provided uh, already fulfilled these prophecies in Jesus. Okay. I'm going to give you a list of prophecies. I want to go pretty fast. I don't want you to take notes. You're gonna be mad at me if you try to take notes. But you can if you're really fast, you go ahead and do that. First of all, he was born of a woman, okay? Now you know that. That's no big deal. All children are born of women, right? yes but nobody said god had to become a child but this goes clear back to genesis chapter 3 and so he's going to enter the human race he's going to be born of a virgin he's going to have a supernatural conception he's going to be called son of god not very many people get called the son not a son the son he's going to be a descendant of abraham We're going to know the family line that God chooses to bring this son. And Abraham lives 2,200 years before the birth of Jesus. He's going to be from the tribe of Judah, one of Jacob's sons. He's going to be from the house of David. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now we're going to know the place where God's going to enter the human race. He's going to be called Lord. By the way, not everybody gets called Lord. Um. I was just reading Luke two eleven this past week. That's the Christmas story, Luke chapter two. This baby's going to be called Lord. That that'll be a real attention getter. Uh, he's going to be a prophet, according to Deuteronomy. He's going to be a priest. Not everybody gets to be a priest or a prophet. Now you have got, got one man with two. Now he's going to be a judge. There were judges in the Old Testament. This person's going to be a judge, and he's going to be a king. He's going to have a special anointing by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11. He was at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him. He was the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. He's going to have a ministry of miracles. Not everybody gets to have a ministry of miracles. He healed people, raised people from the dead. He's going to teach in parables. That's what really uh, confounded people when he taught in parables. And he didn't tell everybody what he was saying. And he left it for people to ask questions. What does this mean? But this was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would teach in parables. He would enter enter the temple. He did two times. He went to the temple. He went to the temple more than twice. But in fulfillment of this prophecy, he went in and cleansed the temple. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey, Palm Sunday, the week before uh, the resurrection. He became the chief cornerstone, and he also was the stumbling block for the Jewish people. They didn't get it. They stumbled right over him, and yet he's the chief cornerstone for the church, and the whole church is built on the cornerstone. He was betrayed by a friend. His name was Judas Iscariot, one of the 12. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver like a slave. And that's what was paid to Judas for betraying Jesus. He was forsaken by his disciples. They left him uh, after he was arrested. He was accused by false witnesses at his trials. Charges were trumped up against Jesus that were not true. It was just to get a uh, a decision by the court. He was silent before his accusers at his trials. He was put to death with, excuse me, his hands and feet, were pierced uh, when he was nailed to the cross. He was put to death with robbers, one on each side. Lots were cast for his clothing by the soldiers to see he would get his robe. He was forsaken by God the Father. Um, God turned away from Jesus when he bore the sin of the world. His bones were not broken. It was normal to come up to the cross when somebody was crucified and just break their legs so they would fall down and suffocate. That's the way you hurried uh, the death of a crucifixion. Uh, He was buried in a rich man's tomb. Who would have planned this one? Joseph of Arimathea, the secret disciple who had just come to faith, sort of in secret and behind the scenes. He goes public with his faith and he takes the body of Jesus and gives Jesus his very own tomb. Um, He was resurrected. That was foretold in the Old Testament. Not understood, but foretold. A totally new concept. Whoever thought about resurrection? And then he ascended just like he said he would and sat down at the right hand of God. So here's an application for us. Count on God. Fulfill all future prophecies about Jesus. If you think God did okay with the other prophecies, you can count on him to keep going. Everything he said will come to pass. Revelation 22 Verses 12 and 13, behold, this is like at the end of the book, the end of the Bible. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I don't know what that means, but he's coming. I know that. He's coming. I can count on that. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God's intense, passionate desire will bring this about. Final application, count on God to fulfill all the promises he has made to you and count on his intense, passionate desire to accomplish it in your life. Every promise. Your sins have been forgiven. You know what? You can count on that all the way. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you can count on that. Uh, You have been given eternal life. I don't know what that means. I mean, I don't know what eternal life is going to be like. Uh, But, you you know, we can count on that. You are a citizen of heaven. You have a citizenship in heaven. You are going to experience that totally one day. And what about now? Well, God promises to supply all your needs in Christ Jesus right now. Do you need anything? Do you, I didn't say all your wants. Sometimes we get wants. We get our desires, but what you need right now. God promises to supply all of your needs. You can count on that. Um, God is the God of all comfort. He promises to give you comfort. You can lean into God for comfort. From time to time, we all need comfort. Um, Just this week, a friend of ours that goes way back to right after I came to faith in Christ, we um, had a chance to share the gospel with a woman that Sue worked with in the office in Des Moines. She came to faith in Christ. Her two girls came to faith in Christ. She ended up with a disease. um, She just died. They just took her off a ventilator a couple days ago. Well, you know, that's just like, oh, and uh, we have the God of comfort, the God of all comfort. He doesn't promise to take away every pain, but he does promise a comfort, and he, he gives us comfort, and you and I need comfort that comes from God. Sometimes God sends people to, to, to be that comfort. Um. God also promises to give you strength for, wh- for, for whatever he wants you to do. God promises you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you for everything God wants you to do. Do you need strength? Are you weary? Are you tired? You're getting tired of using your own strength. God promises all the strength you need and count on it one day at a time. God said his grace is sufficient for you each day. Do you need his grace today? You know, it's just God's favor. God on your team today. Take care of tomorrow, tomorrow, but today. Grace for today. Thank God for providing for you today. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You feel alone? Who's moved? Are you leaning into your relationship with Christ? He promises that he's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. I know what it feels like to be lonely, and yet I also know that I have Christ. And um, he's never going to leave me. No matter what I face, he's never going to forsake me. Even when I have a bad day, Or a bad year, he's never going to leave me. So he's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He's your wonderful counselor. He's your mighty God. He's your everlasting father. He's your prince of peace today, right now. Let's stand and pray. Father, we want to uh, just give you praise today for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, that you would come to this earth and be born as a baby and limit yourself to all the trappings of humanity and have people wait on you hand and foot. And then you would uh, grow up and learn about how humans navigate life firsthand. And then you'd be willing to give everything for us to please the Father. And God, I thank you that you have given us promises that relate to our lives today because of Jesus, because we have Jesus today and tomorrow and forever. Father, I pray that uh, you'll remind us as we go through the holidays and we know it's Christmas and we know what that means, and yet uh, it's just easy to be busy and not remember what it means that Jesus is Lord. Remind us us as we go through these days, these days that we can spend with family and friends, and um, may you be honored by the way we communicate, the way we relate, the way we treat each other, whether we treat family members, and the way we treat friends. For Jesus' sake, amen.